And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is the weekly X-Men podcast where we take a look at all of the X-Men stories. We we judge their character. Their, uh, we act like the Siege Perilous, I think. I think that's Adam. Adam, my co-host Adam. That makes the most sense, right? We measure their value. We measure their weight. And we say, okay, you're good. That, that presumes the idea that we're like uh, digesting them somehow and spitting them out as some reformed, uh, <laughs> new invented version of themselves, which I don't know if we I quite mean, do that. We're we're digesting their ideas and spewing them out of our mouth holes into our listeners ears. <laughs> that That is a great I hope uh, listeners, you're not eating breakfast while we're talking about this. <laughs> well, they're just they're just putting that good good cereal into their mouth holes as we're spewing things into their ear holes. It's a hole in hole out situation here. That's it's true. It's a whole That's true. situation. And I, there are some out uh, things that we're going to talk about today, um, if, if I can make that metaphor. So, um, but yeah, we do have some pretty odd stories today. Aren't all X Men stories a little odd though? Like when you think about it. Yeah, um, and they're all about a single character. So uh, what's the request that we're starting with today here? Well, you mentioned requests, and that's very important because pretty much every episode we've done for the last 20-some episodes have been requests from various people on Patreon. These are the fine, fine, upstanding folk who go to patreon.com slash Files, and they put in a couple dollars to show their support for this program, and we appreciate them immensely. Specifically, we appreciate Talkin' Snicked, who is a guy who really likes Wolverine, which makes this surprising. Also, I think he has, a, I'm pretty sure he has a Wolverine podcast called Talkin' Snicked. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a Talking Snicked podcast, yeah. uh, so check that out, guys. Yeah, you really should. But we are not talking Snicked or Snacked or Bub today. We're talking about Psylocke. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that that was what he wanted us to uh, talk about. And this first one, I had never even heard of this. So uh, what's our first story here that he asked us to cover? The first story here is a deep cut from 1997. It is Psylocke Archangel Crimson Dawn. This is a four issue miniseries written by Ben Robb. With pencils by Sabadaloka. Uh, yeah. Um, and I, you know, like when this came up, I was like, okay, I've never heard of this. And it doesn't seem like anybody really has a great love for this. It doesn't seem to be collected in a trade or it's not on Unlimited. So uh, this was new to me. Yeah, this is odd. So this is a story, as in the title, about the Crimson Dawn. Now, Adam, you were reading X-Men in the 90s. Do you remember the Crimson Dawn? Now, if I remember correctly, I, my definition of what the Crimson Dawn is, um, is a little bit confusing because it seems to be visually represented in a bunch of different ways. But essentially, I remember it being something that was used to bring Psylocke yeah. back to life. Yes. Correct? Um, now, is it? 
the electric hot pink spiders that are featured in this book? Or is it the pool that you sort of dip yourself into and give a piece of your soul to? Like the only thing I really know for sure is that it gives you a rad face tattoo um, when you go, go through it. I think that's the only thing. Here's what I know about the Crimson Dawn. It's guarded by someone. <laughs> it's yep, vaguely yeah. Asian. Mm-hmm. And it brought Psylocke back to life at one time. That's it. Yeah. Everything else. and I've, That's probably all you need to know. I've honestly read like three or four Crimson Dawn-based stories in the last month. I, I don't understand it. I don't know what uh, Gomer, the ancient, his deal is. I don't I don't understand the Crimson Dawn. It's confusing because, like I said, it's it's visually represented by a couple of different things, you know, um, and you're right. It's always protected by someone who's the proctor of the Crimson Dawn. So I I guess there's a test involved. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll get the instructions for our uh, standardized test in a second. Um, But yeah. Is it the hot pink spiders? Is it the yellow pool that you dip your foot into? Is it the face tattoo? It's it's a little bit. The Crimson Dawn is all. Yeah, yeah. It could be any of these things. Um, but it's funny that you say vaguely Asian because there is a lot of that going on in this particular story. Um, we've got some, yeah, like Gorum is a very stereotype. He's a monk. You know, borderline little racist uh, caricature. Um, I don't know what to say about some of this stuff. It's, it's, it's borderline. It's, it's uncomfortable to say the least. Well, let's, let's pull back because, you know, since neither of us were really familiar with this story beforehand, I want to give the listeners a chance to know what in the world we're talking about. It's not like we can say, okay, Hey, we're talking about days of future past. It's rad, right? Like, I don't know this. Mm Mm-hmm. People do. Yes. I'm not going to know what this so is. So what happens um, is this guy named Kurigari murders Tar, who was the old proctor of the Crimson Dawn, and he tries to kidnap Psylocke to be his bride. Now, Psylocke has recently been attacked by Sabretooth, super maimed, and got uh, the Crimson Dawn elixir to heal her, got a face tattoo and shadow teleporting powers for some reason and her in uh her and warren <laughs> have just been hanging out on the upper east side yeah so they kind of sucker psylocke into um becoming an undercloak which is the term that kurigari uses for his like ninja warriors and uh then angel has to go and save the day um so he and this this uh, other guy who's the rightful proctor of the crimson dawn gorum um managed to help psylocke escape um and there's a lot of you know ninja fighting and um angel sort of flying around brooding a little bit and uh you know that that's kind of how it is yeah, and he saves Psylocke's but life, but he has to give up a piece of his life force, which means he will die sooner, and it's never been brought up again. Yeah, it seems like a, a stray plot point that's not really going to ever come back. Um, and so the this miniseries, because it focuses just on these two characters, is also about their relationship. Um, Warren comes off as extremely, you know, sort of besotted with Psylocke, but also, you know, willing to 
<laughs> break up with her because of ninja stuff. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it's the writing here is extremely slight. Uh, yeah. Even though. Yeah, go, go ahead. I was just going to well, say. I'm curious your take on it. I agree because it's, it's four issues and it's not a lot. It's Psylocke and Warren are having issues because Psylocke is sad. Uh, Psylocke gets captured by ninjas. Warren goes to rescue her from the ninjas. They fight ninjas. The end. That's mm-hmm. the whole story. And it's tied up in the stuff about the Crimson Dawn. And I hated Gomer the Ancient and the rest of the Crimson Dawn stuff when it was in Uncanny. I hated it when it popped up in X-Men Unlimited when I was recently doing a whole read-through of that. I hate it here. It's boring. It's It feels like Joe Mad wanted to draw anime stuff, which, spoiler alert, he did. And this was the closest <laughs> thing he could get to to drawing Dragon Ball Z. Like, that's what it feels like. Yeah. And there's another element here. I think each of the stories we're going to cover today, you know, have their own Psylocke, this specific issue that comes with her. And uh, I brought this up on Twitter the other day. Um, This is a real, (laughs) I don't really have large problems with the artwork in this. uh, No, Salvador LaRocca is by and large a good artist who has earned his place. I like it. Yeah, I, I like the artwork. However, he is doing something that, uh, you know, is really I feel like there's less of a story and more of an excuse to show Psylocke in various, let's say, suggestive poses. Yeah. Um, you know, we get sort of these weird contortionist, almost Spider-Man poses, um, you know, with Psylocke being as she's always dressed in, in, you know, her one piece swimsuit and it's awkward in some spaces, you know, there are some really, really weird poses that you wonder like what's going on here. You know um, there's some coloring choices, especially in the last two issues where I guess liquid the, I don't know if that's studio or if that was it's an individual studio, yeah. um, who was doing. Yeah. There, you know, there's some real um, like, specific attempts to find um, Betsy's uh, nipples on her breasts and the way that it's colored. And you can just tell that like there's an element of objectification throughout this entire thing that makes the the book very uncomfortable in the way that it's being drawn. Um, Even the way that Warren talks about Betsy as if she's like a hot piece of, you know, (laughs) I'll I'll say ass. I know we don't usually uh, curse on the show. Language. um, Like that seems to be, who Psylocke is, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's who the character is supposed to be sexy ninja. And, um, you know, I wish that there was more to the character than that. Yeah. Cause Psylocke and we've brought this up before. She's an incredibly interesting character, but she is given no agency in this. And that's actually one of my biggest issues with the Crimson Dawn as a plot point. And especially as a plot point in Psylocke's story, she turns into, a emotionless, mindless, nothing of a character who is only there to be sexy. And that's not interesting. Like, that's not fun comics to read. I mean, maybe when you're 14, but I'm not anymore. And it just doesn't do it for me. This is this is a just a weird comic. 
Yeah, I mean, it's very slight, it's very cartoony, and, uh, you know, the Crimson Dawn stuff is kind of confusing. So, and and it highlights, you know, our first uh, problem with, with Psylocke, and, you know, we're going to dip into some of the other ones as we go through here, too. Where would you rank this on the list? Low? <laughs> uh, I mean, like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't need to revisit this. I, I won't read it again. It has so many of my least favorite elements of X-Men in it. Now, I don't think it's I don't think it reaches the level of like a Phoenix Legacy of Fire as far as being offensively bad. Like there's the the right. issues with this are more general issues with 90s comics and the culture of 90s comic art and what was going on than it is with, you know, anything intentional or deliberate. There wasn't, you know, a step beyond the norm, which I think is an important distinction. Yeah. Beyond the, um, awkward contortionist, uh, TNA poses that, that are kind of not everywhere, but you know, there's a few of them throughout. I, I actually didn't mind reading this. I just know that it's so slight that I'm not going to revisit oh, yeah. it. So, um, I don't, I don't feel like it goes as far as like towards the bot our, our bottom four right now are Eve of Destruction, X-Men 100th Anniversary Special, God Loves Man Kills 2, and Phoenix Legacy of Fire. Um, I don't know that it goes that far. You know what I mean? Like while I'm reading it, I was like, all right, well, this is a story. I'm not finding it like totally offensive or anything like that. Or, or you know, it's not making me want to poke my eyes out. Right. Um, so how low do you want to go? Is it worse than the New Mutants part of Fall of the Mutants? That's a good question. I mean, that has, for all of its flaws, it does have Doug uh, and his sacrifice in it, which is much more relevant than this. So I would say it goes lower than that. That's what I'm thinking. I think it's lower than that. I think it's lower than Heroes for Hope, which it's that's just a weird comic. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a cultural artifact that we might want to revisit uh, multiple times. Um, is it better or worse than X-Men Mangaverse? I want to say it's worse. Okay. I want right. to say it's worse. I want to say it's worse than the Phalanx Covenant Excalibur X-Force X-Factor stuff. And where mm -hmm. I'm looking is the next two on our list, uh, and this is right above Eve of Destruction, are the first arc of X-Factor, which is vol volume one, number one through six, and then the Shatterstar mm -hmm. Saga from X-Force. <laughs> I think we might want to just put it in between there because I, it's definitely a more cohesive story than Shatterstar, um, which, you know, is a complete narrative mess, uh, but it's not as necessary to any canon as X Factor Volume 1, 1 to 6. What do you think about that? I think that's fair. I think that's All fair. Right. I think Crimson Dawn can be our new number 92. So, so that happened. And cool. next on our list through problematic elements of Psylocke <laughs> is uh, X-Men Volume 2, numbers 20 through 23. This is Quanin storyline. Yes, Quanin. Quanin. Um, do we want to do we want to explain Quanin? I feel like we have to explain Quanin. I, you know what? It was interesting rereading these because I recall being teenage me and being like completely baffled by this. And I will say that reading through it, it's still confusing just the way it's presented both artistically and through its writing. But the general premise is not actually that confusing. No. The idea is that instead of it just being Matsuo um, transporting Betsy Braddock into 
an Asian body, right? With or without, I guess the idea behind this is that Spiral, um, there was another ninja assassin named Quanin, and then their two personalities slash, uh, I guess, bodies were merged. So there's now two of them. And one of them looks a little more Betsy Braddock and one of them looks a little more Quanin, but both of them have elements of each other's personalities inside of each other. So they all think that they are the rightful Betsy Braddock. Right. Do I have that right? That's that's about right. Now, the way that, okay. it, the way that it played in the writing of comics a bit before this and a bit after it is Quanin's body, which had Betsy, you know, which is what everyone thought of as Psylocke now. Uh had a lot more elements of Betsy Braddock in her. And the Betsy Braddock old body, where Quanin's mind was now, is now, had a lot more of the Quanin elements to her. So it's a bit more muddled than that. I I feel okay. like our view of this story is very colored by what continuity has kind of paved. Like, mm-hmm. we, the way continuity really ends up working is that it's like a sanding wheel. It'll it'll grind down the rough edges to give you something. So even if it's not yeah. actually what was there, it's what you remember. And pretty much what you end up remembering is, oh, well, they switched bodies. Yeah, but I remember getting these issues at the time. And really, this is a head scratcher, the way this is presented. You know, this character comes out of nowhere to claim that she's the real Betsy Braddock. Um, the X-Men just are like, oh, we believe you. And this person who's been on our team for, you know, Months. how long has Psylocke been on the team in her new form? Like probably years worth of continuity. Right. Yeah. And uh, they're just like, oh, we believe you. Um, and then, oh, it just gets more and more confusing because not only is this new character there, but they don't call her Quanin. They call her Revanche. Yep. Am I? Is that the way you say it's that? It's like revanche? revenge, but then vaguely French, but also nonsensical. Yeah. Um, and I'll say one thing that does absolutely no favors for this story is the artwork. Because Kubert and Peterson. That's Andy Kubert, by tasked, the way. Andy. Yes. Andy. They're tasked with drawing Quanin and Betsy Braddock to look differently, but they don't, except for their hairstyles. And then there's also fights between Matsuo and Shaw, who also look pretty much identical. Isn't there a third guy, too? Like, I know there's a third guy who's another. Yeah. What's his name? What is his name? Uh, Lord Nyron? Yeah, Lord Lord Nyron, who who doesn't look like Matsuo and Shaw, but looks exactly like the Mandarin looked in the acts of vengeance yes. crossover. So like there is so much character confusion here because there's not actually much character design going on. Um, so it, Ooh, you know, <laughs> so to figure this mystery out, it's a real soap opera. They take Gambit and beast of all characters back to Japan to find a portrait of Quanin with the, with a hidden scroll diary in it. It's like, it must, it's like a telenovela the way this thing plays out. And, uh, it's, it's not very clear. No, we'll say that it's not clear. It's look, Fabian Nicieza is a writer. I legitimately enjoy a lot of his stuff. I really do. This is just, just pretty nonsensical. The, and I think you touched mm. on it. The character designs a huge issue with this because, 
you can't tell a majority of the major players apart. And that's an issue. Um, yeah. And, and it, it goes for the heroes. It goes for the villains. Um, Silver Samurai shows up and you're kind of like, wait, what? what? Right. <laughs> oh, why'd that happen? Um, you know, because if you need an Asian villain, I guess Silver Samurai has to show he is up. He the Japan uh, bad guy, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so, you know, I think you're right. Like the story benefits from having years of continuity afterwards that help hone this down a little bit. But as it's own three issue or is it that's four issues it's a it's a kind of a confusing mess there's also some um scott fun yeah, in the background the of B these plot? stories can we talk about the b plot because this one's more interesting to me <laughs> yeah the b plot is is pretty cool yeah so uh what kicks off everyone thinking that psylocke's bot or ninja psylocke i'm gonna call her ninja psylocke and british psylocke because that's the best okay. I can do to differentiate the body side of this. Ninja Psylocke mm-hmm. makes out with Scott Summers and he's like, what are you doing? I have a like <laughs> long-term girlfriend. We've been dating for like 30 years. What's your deal? So everyone doesn't trust her. He says, I kind of need some time to process what is, even is my life right now. Goes to visit his grandparents in a... Uh, in Alaska, where he gets ambushed by the Dark Riders, who are Apocalypse's <laughs> evil evil boys, who attack him, and Mr. Sinister, who just comes out to hang out with Cyclops and say, hey, buddy, buddy, <laughs> I screwed up real bad. And also, you might have another That's a brother. great conversation. Oh, right. Yeah, that's part of that that conversation, right? Is the potential third summer. Yeah, that brother. conversation in 23 is the best part of this because Sinister is, you know, talking to Scott saying you know, he's talking to him like he's a buddy and not a super evil dude. And I <laughs> just enjoy that so much. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. So the fact that the uh, the Quanin stuff is broken up by this B plot is is welcome, because uh, that part's a little lot more straightforward, very silly, and uh, it, it's great. I mean, it it's a story with Tusk, and do you know what Tusk Steel is? Uh, uh, he's sort of like Master Mold. Doesn't he like poop out little tusks? Yeah, he, he's a guy who makes little guys. <laughs> he's a big guy who makes it's little great. guys. It's great. He's great. The Dark Riders have their merits. You know what I mean? Like The Dark they're, Riders they're silly, have like but... two or three good designs and Foxbat is not <laughs> one of them. <laughs> Foxbat. Which it's two like, animals can we squish together today? <laughs> it's like, what is it? Tusk is cool. The electricity guy is cool. Gauntlet is okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they you know, they're wandering around killing the unworthy. Um, I, I just want to highlight cause we, you know, I think in the last story I said that there are some individual Psylocke problems that get brought up. This one I think does bring up, uh, another issue with Psylocke, which is the, you know, potentially troubling issue of is Betsy Braddock also really Asian, you know, like she's been transported into an Asian body, which 
if we're talking about like the origin and we can get into that with our next story, um, that I feel like has a little bit of merit given who, given who was behind it. But put in the hands of other writers, it is interesting how over the decades, Psylocke has just been kind of like, oh, now she's magically Asian because she's in this body. She's also expected to take on all of those cultural tropes. Um, she's expected to walk around in a kimono and her apartment in Crimson Dawn is referred to as a dojo. Um, there's all of these little things that get assigned to her character that I don't know. It, it's a very, very strange thing. Like is Psylocke, you know, somewhat the Rachel Dolezal of the X-Men in a lot of ways because of who she was and who she is now based on what happened with the siege perilous. Uh, I feel like there's at least something problematic there that I don't know has ever really been addressed other than this quantum story. Yeah, so who's ready for an edition of two cis straight white dudes talk about cultural appropriation? Because with, with, you know, that big caveat in mind, I think the biggest issue, the way I view it at least, is that there's not any sort of real respect for stuff. Like, I, from everything I've, read and talked to people about who are a lot better informed and have a lot better opinions about this stuff than I do. A lot of it really comes down to respect. Like culture is something to be shared. Culture is something to, you know, morph and translate into something different and beautiful. And, you know, it's, I think it's plenty okay to take aspects of other cultures into your own life. However, the important thing is to do to do it with a modicum of respect for it, and whatever it was at the beginning of the Psylocke ninja stuff, and even then, I think it's a bit questionable. There was not a lot of respect by the time we get here. It was Psylocke's a ninja now, and we're just going to roll with it. And there's right sexy ninja. Yeah, it's you know it's straight up taking you know, kishy elements from other cultures, slapping it on there as a coat of paint and saying, Hey, look, this, uh, upper class imperialistic British lady is now Asian and the authority and probably the most visible Asian character in comics. Isn't that rad? Uh, well, and there's a huge missed opportunity here, which I'm kind of surprised they never actually went with, which would be to let Betsy Braddock, become Betsy Braddock again and let Quanon join the X-Men. And I'm just kind of, I don't know, like it amazes me that this transformation has lasted for as long as it has to the present day. I, I, I find that fascinating. What's more amazing to me is the fact that, and this is a story that we're not covering in this episode, though it would be a very good one. In the Matt Fraction run, there's a story called The Sisterhood that brings Psylocke's body back and gives them an out to bring to put her mm-hmm. back in her original body it gives mm-hmm. them it gives them the opportunity and they choose to definitively go against it and i think there's it's a complicated issue because from a i don't even have the right language to describe it because this is not a real world situation this is made up comic book garbage But to have a character that presents as Asian and is frankly the – I'm trying to think of an Asian character that is 
bigger and in more stuff than Psylocke, and I'm coming up pretty blank as far as comics goes. So you lose some semblance of representation by taking her and making her another white character. But at the same time, there is so much just issue with Ninja Psylocke that it's 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 a catch-22. It's a no-win situation here. And I am very glad that I do not have to try and figure this out. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like there's obviously been decades worth of opportunities to add representation to the X-Men that would have made this a moot point. But uh, it, it still remains an interesting element of the X-Men that does not get addressed. So, I, you know, I just I think like it's worth putting this pointing this stuff out as we go through these stories, because it's a very interesting character. I like certain Psylocke stories quite a bit, um, but that's always hanging around in the background. So I think we decided that this particular story is a bit of a mess. Um, and we like the B plot better than the A plot. So where would you put it on our list? All right. So uh, somewhere near the, the rear of our list on at number 77 is Uncanny X-Men Into the Void, which is 284 <laughs> to 286. I was looking at that same spot. Well, it's another yeah. not really problematic, just weird, not necessarily great 90s X-Men story. Yeah. And I think that is better than the Quanin story. Okay. I'm, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I definitely like, I definitely like the art better in into the void than I do in this uh, particular arc here. Um, so I think that's a great place. We could put it in between into the void and storm volume three, number nine. What do you think? Well, it would be storm volume three, number three, get our list right, my dude, but. <laughs> oh, whoops. yeah. It's storm three, volume three, life, death three. So like if you multiply it, it's storm nine, Nope, that's 27. <laughs> if you add it, it's nine. I I promise you, I have a Bachelor's of Science in Engineering. I can math really good. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, uh, yeah. So it's we're, we're coming in at the new 78 here, right? New 78. Uh, X-Men, Volume 2, Numbers 20 through 23, Kowanen. And we got one more. Kowanen. We got one more story. This is a logical place to uh, go backwards in time to finish, which is Acts of Vengeance. It is the X Uncanny X-Men Acts of Vengeance. This is Uncanny 220. Man, my cadence was off because I forgot what the last digit was. It's a six. <laughs> it's 226 through 220. Nope, I got two out of three wrong. It's 256. <laughs> You'll get it. Numbers uh, are not your strong suit tonight. Apparently... Bit, you know, my other degree is in business. I had to do spreadsheets all day long. I should be a numbers champion. I should be That's the okay. king of number city. But You're reading them in your head when you look at a spreadsheet, right? Something like that. It's 256, 257, and 258. This is the X-Men crossover with Acts of Vengeance. Yeah. So this is the origin of all of this messy stuff that we've been talking about, where Psylocke has gone through the Siege Perilous and emerges sexy ninja. Yeah. Working for the Mandarin, who, if you want to talk about problematic characters, we've got that one. <laughs> but Ooh, I yeah. don't know enough about the Mandarin to say anything except for he definitely started as a yellow peril generic villain. And I am not astute enough to in either Iron Man canon 
or in that culture and how things are interpreted and how things are taken to really say if he ever got better. Hmm. Uh, we have Chris Claremont writing this, but Jim Lee is definitely a huge creative force here. Um, so, you know, I think a moment ago is saying that I think that the the intentions behind this may have some merit because, you know, when you have Jim Lee and Will Sportatio working on these books and plotting as much as they do, you know, I can understand the desire to add yeah. representation to the team. Um, so, you know, I get the desire to add Psylocke as a, as a new version, you know, because Psylocke, even in the Aussie area, Aussie era of X-Men is, you know, she is a member of the team, but is not necessarily like a stand out, you know, core gotta have her kind of team member. Like I love that era, but I can see why someone would come onto the book and want to do something different with that character. This is a radical departure. Um, you know, but just like how Will Sportatio wanted Bishop yep. to be, um, I believe Filipino originally, as opposed to African American, like I I feel like that's a really important thing to note in the creation of Psylocke, that there's obviously a desire for representation there based on the fact that we have Asian American artists working on these books at this time. Also because Jim Lee did like drawing ninjas. Oh yeah. And sexy <laughs> ladies, you know, so he he's, good at he's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He wants to draw, you know, he wants to draw this stuff and here it is in the book. Um, gotta say the three of these, you know, it's not, I feel like there's still some, um, you know, we're shedding some old Jim Lee stuff here. Like some of the ways he draws faces are not as um, trademark Jim Lee here or anything. But overall, I think these are pretty nice looking books. Yeah, uh, the art's real good in this. Turns out that Jim Lee fellow, he's got a real career in front of him. <laughs> he may start the third largest comic book company and then work for the second largest after, you know, run he the got- second largest. He drives me nuts. The other night he, um, or, or just recently he's been doing a lot of like live drawing, um, and, and, and broadcasting his, you know, he calls it just sketching, but he can just blow through like a beautiful pencils to inks thing in like under a half an hour. It is the most amazing thing. He recently, I think the last one I saw, he redid, um, the Mark Silvestri cover with Wolverine, uh, crucified on the X, I mean, mind blowing stuff. I, I'm always amazed by by his talent. He's such a talented guy. Yeah, Jim Lee, pretty good at comics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> story. Do we want to get into the, yeah. the story? Here? Uh, yeah. So, Salak gets captured by uh, Metsio uh, Tursaiba. I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's close. Matsuo, you know Matsuo. He's the guy that looks like yep. uh, Sebastian Shaw's kid, but isn't. Uh, mm-hmm. He captures Psylocke, goes to the Mandarin and says, dude, your, st- your uh, street cred is pretty low. You want a new assassin? And trains Psylocke to be his assassin. And then she fights Wolverine for a hot second. And then they fight everyone together. Him or her, Wolverine and Jubilee fight everyone else. That's about it. Uh, don't forget about Wolverine's um, imaginary friends here, Carol Danvers and Nick Fury, who somehow have the ability, I guess, through Silex telekinesis. I don't know how this works, but Nick Fury has the power to shoot people. 
<laughs> the, uh, that's just Nick Fury. He's just a life model decoy and a ghost model decoy. Oh, wow. He's a life and death model decoy. I, I love when stuff like that happens in Claremont's run. Like you're just like, that made no sense and I don't care. That's still cool. <laughs> hey, look, the rule of cool is a very important thing in superhero media because <laughs> eventually it's just like, don't overthink it. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the first issue where where Psylocke is undergoing the physical changes of really weird, trippy, almost Excalibur-esque dream sequence uh, that is yeah. very bizarre. So, um, you know, kudos for stretching things out a little bit. You know, there's some weird stuff happening in these issues. Yeah, what I think is real interesting about that is how deep in continuity that is. Yeah. Because it is, it is all based on captain britain continuity Mm -hmm. and captain britain wasn't printed in the u.s for the longest time (laughs) so most readers would be looking at this and saying i don't know what's happening is this a callback to something i'm very confused no i remember reading this and going who the heck is Slaymaster?" you know but like you had to know who Slaymaster was because he's the guy that took Psylocke's eyes originally, right? Isn't that how that works? Yeah, when she was Captain Britain. Right. Everyone forgets she was Captain Britain for a hot second. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so there, there. You're right. It's a deep continuity dive, and uh, you know, also props to actually saying the crossover events uh, title in the dialogue. <laughs> oh yeah, that was that was beautifully beautifully cheesy call it an act of vengeance okay <laughs> it's in Roll the credits. cover you know yeah no i mean this is so this is definitely the era of x-men where claremont loses steam i feel like like jim lee's art is carrying the book by now i think making the x-men not a team for like a year and a half it, it definitely had some struggles when their appeal is being a really good team. Like mm-hmm. the character dynamics are great. And there's some great interaction, especially with Jubilee and Wolverine in this. Jubes is in peak form during I, this arc. I love her in these issues. She's so great in her interactions with the other characters. It's fantastic. Yeah, uh, she's great. Wolverine's fun. Uh, the Psylocke stuff, it's weird. It's not... It's not like amazing. This is again more important for the giant lasting continuity change that happens than the fact that it's particularly great. Though I do like this story. I I know I'm kind of coming off as a negative Nancy on this, but I think it's a pretty solid story. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I think people look upon it pretty fondly. I know that um Ed Pisker is doing a lot of his rereads uh to get ready for future um, grand design issues and i think he was recently tweeting uh pages from this out of the essentials edition so i yes. you know i think it's generally remembered pretty fondly even though it has you know a, a problematic uh history that comes out of it but you know they they stand up they've got cool art and uh it's it's a fun story yeah i like it i don't like right. love it but i like it no, but, you know, even just visually, you might go back and be like, oh, I remember this. This was neat. Yeah, yeah that Jim Lee guy. We keep saying it. <laughs> keep it up, kid. You're going to go far. Yeah. So, I mean, we have his 275 stuff at 58 right now, right? So Yeah, this is better than that. 
Okay. So how high are you willing to go on the list? I think it's better than the Uncanny X-Men Fall of the Mutants. I like it better than that, at least. Okay. Which is at All number right. 50 right now. Uh, I probably don't like it better than the first arc of Peter David's uh, X-Factor, which is at 42 right now, which gives us a decent area to play in. In there is the Exterminator's Inferno story. Mm-hmm. Uh, House of M, the Unis, the Untouchable issue of X-Men, Gambit and the Externals, the Demon issue of Uncanny X-Men, uh, the all-new Wolverine annual, and the Marvel Holiday special number 1991. Um, I think I like this better than House of M, but I want to leave it up to you whether you like this better than Exterminators. I'm going to read Exterminators again way sooner than I read this again. I'm going to be real honest. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you like this better than House of M? Probably. Okay. Probably. All right. House of M. House of M has some real, real good artwork, too. It sure does. Yeah. Not Olivier Coipel. He's He's talented, man. He's a good, yeah. good artist. So are we saying this is the new 44? It is. This is the new 44 on our list, and that does it for this episode. We have gone through three stories. We ranked three stories. We talked about some stuff that was way heavier than normally we get into on this podcast, but I think it worked out. So, it sure did. First and foremost, thank you to Talking Snicked again for his patronage on Patreon. If you would like to join his loyal ranks or be like anyone else on the Patreon, you can go over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. It keeps everything that happens in the Xavier Files media empire running, which includes my website, XavierFiles.com, where I have weekly articles about different X-Men characters. Right now, I have either already posted or will probably post this week an article about Storm, and that depends on how much I get done because I've turned into a busy person. (laughs) I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that occurs. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Xavier Files. Now, Mr. Adam Rack, where can people find you online? All right, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Got new pages of Bish and Jubes coming out, at least for the next couple of weeks uh, on Mondays at adamreck.tumblr.com. And um, I just want to put a quick plug in, if I could. Um, and this is very self-serving, but uh, the amazing Shelby Wolf on uh on kickstarter is putting together these amazing x cuties enamel pins and uh so far six of them have been unlocked as part of the campaign but the next one guys is jubilee and that's the one that i really really want so if you like x-men and you like pins you know like you're like me and you try and collect all the tom whalen mondo pins these are absolutely awesome um you can follow her on twitter at shelby n wolf and uh get the link over to that um, you know, score yourself some sweet enamel pins and uh, do us a solid because yeah, locked ones so far are still Jubilee, Iceman, Kitty Pride, and Wolverine. And I think it'd be really cool if we got all of them unlocked. That would be pretty solid. Look, I I put in for the two pin package on the Kickstarter, which we will link to. You can scroll over to the episode notes and click on the button right now. As as we're talking about this, I. I have already unlocked the two that I needed, which were Nightcrawler and my boy Cyclops. So (laughs) I also agree, but in a much less self-serving way, because I'm a better person, Adam, is really what it comes down to. (laughs) 
Okay. But the project is 100% funded, so if that worries you on Kickstarter, don't let it. It's happening. And it's really cool. Yep. It's really cool. They're adorable. Yeah. Now it's all now it's all frosting, and uh, I want that frosting. You want that frosting? <laughs> uh, well, next week, you know, break out the frosting because we are doing our hundredth story on this list. Whoa! Which is the good part of it? Well, what's the bad? The part? bad part of it is that it's the Draco. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Uh, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!